The thing that's come to me really has been the personal motto of if something's worth building, it's worth building twice. Everyone wants to gold plate something. And I think this is especially true of people building things for the first time. They say, hey, this has to be the greatest character that's ever existed because I had this vision in my head and they spend all of their time there and they don't validate that that's something that people want. Hello and welcome to Key Characters. My name is Hal Crawford. Today I'm speaking with Bo Daly from Bazooka Tango. Let me summarise some of what I got out of this conversation. Firstly, we're talking about Shardbound, a game that Bo is making with his team, but a game that he didn't originate. Shardbound began way back in 2015 as a turn-based battler, but was never completed. Bo and Co. took up the unfinished game and are giving it the Web3 treatment. Second, Bo says he is wary of raising early funding from game communities via NFT and token sales because games have limited lifespans and eventually these assets would be worthless. Another great point that Bo makes is that all innovation involves rough technology that looks and feels inferior to the incumbent technologies that it's challenging. Bo calls this swimming upstream, and that's exactly where blockchain is at right now. One further note, early in the discussion, I asked Bo how Shardbound came to be on Steam. The necessary missing context here is that blockchain games are banned on Steam. So I found this conversation really interesting and insightful. Here's Bazooka Tango's Bo Daly. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Bo Daly. I'm the founder and chief exec at Bazooka Tango. Been in games for 20 plus years at this point. So I've done everything from uh, client engineering, server engineering to you know, founder a couple times over now. So pretty broad uh, set of roles, I guess, that I kind of slot into on the team, um, but broadly responsible for executive leadership, vision, and really trying to push the team to, to grow and do innovative new things. Now, the game you're building is Shardbound. Can you describe it for me? Yes. At the highest level, Shardbound is going to be the probably the most fun game you're going to play in the coming year. It is a, it's a tactics game, like a strategy tactics game, but with kind of the deep card collection background of a collectible card game. Really combines some genres that, that I think are pretty exciting. I'm a big tactics gamer through, through my life. I really like the opportunity to have units on the board, try to outthink and outplay a human opponent in, in, in real time. These are all things that drive, I think, pretty exciting behavior, community growth, etc. The game itself, again, think Final Fantasy Tactics with uh, Hearthstone back, backing on it, where you're deck building, trying to create your collection of cards that are going to be able to execute the kind of strategy that, that works for you and think about what your opponent's going to be doing bring the right cards to the battle, try to get them out on the board, you know, conscious of mana cost, and then ultimately just execute on the board and, and have that sort of moment-to-moment turn-based tactics gameplay. So yeah, we're super excited about this game and moving pretty quickly to get this in the market. Yeah, great. Now, I note that it is on Steam as a wishlistable game. It does have a blockchain integration, I'm led to believe. How do those two, how do those two facts come together? Temporarily, we'll see. The world changes pretty quickly. We do think of ourselves first and foremost as a game, as a strategy game. I don't really think Web3 game is a separate and distinct category. I think it's a interesting technology that opens up a lot of design space. People are going to do very interesting things there. So my expectation is Steam will come around 
But that said, we expect to be on other platforms. We dream of being mobile, PC, Mac, console maybe someday, right? It's a game that, that I think suits a lot of form factors. Yeah, yeah. So what is the blockchain integration at the moment? Again, it's a collectible card game. Players are building decks and they're doing this largely initially in Web2 land, I guess, standard free-to-play game land where they play the game, earn some cards. There'll be an opportunity to upgrade those cards to NFT and that gives them the ability to really customize their deck in a way that makes it fit their personal play style a little bit better. At the end of the day, I think that the ability for players to be able to go trade cards, buy the exact card that they want on an open market that isn't monopoly driven by the, the game creator is going to be a sort of more player friendly place to be. And so we want to give players that opportunity to craft the deck that they want. And if it's not what they want, A, first of all, they shouldn't have to open a, a billion loot boxes and rely on the random generator gods to, to get the card that they want. But even if they do go through a process there and spend some money to, to collect a deck, if they don't like it, like in Web 2 games, you're up a creek. In Web 3, give that card deck to your friend, sell it to someone, recoup some of your losses. I, I think it's just a better place for players to be. Over time, the trends that are better for gamers are the ones that drive bigger audiences, and bigger audiences is really what makes games successful anyway. So if and when you move to that stage of people converting their cards into NFTs, will that see you booted off Steam? We don't think so. Mm. We don't think so, but we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, there's some pretty fierce negativity at the moment around NFTs. You referenced it earlier. Not just NFTs, but all blockchain integrations in games. Are you feeling that heat at the moment? What's your position? We certainly see it. We certainly see it. And and I think broadly, a lot of it's earned, right? And But I, I think the thing to keep in mind here is that players are always responding to what they've seen come before, right? They're looking in the rear view mirror effectively at what's been done. And I think there was a lot of what we would consider going forward, anti-patterns for design that we saw in the past bunch of years, right? Pre-sales, huge amount of money spent on games that may never exist, right? Like things that probably just weren't good ideas at the time, right? So there, I think there are a lot of opportunities to avoid some of the pitfalls that other games have taken. For us, like while players are looking in the rear view, as creators, we need to be looking toward the future. And I think as startup creators, it's even more important that we are like very much focused on, on, on the future. Typically what happened is that the first wave of innovation with any technology, right? These aren't the products that get the best developers in the world. These aren't the projects that get the deepest amount of funding, right? So the things that players see and they react to first uh, is often products that are underfunded, that are built by people that maybe don't have the expertise. They're in, in a lot of ways, like they're proof of concept or kind of tests of the technology. Um, these serve as proof points that drive, you know, kind of market forces to, to go and continue to explore a little bit deeper, but we feel pretty confident that we're at an inflection point now where good professional game developers are coming into the space, seeing the opportunity as for what it is, which is like new thing, new technology enabling new experiences. What What is possible now that we haven't seen before? These are the questions that we need to be focusing on. And it does require some swimming upstream, right? All innovation does. But I think that's the leadership, really, of being a founder and being a, a creator. Yeah. So you, you mentioned startups and, and funding and, and the difficulty of getting funding for gaming. This is a theme that quite a few 
founders have spoken to me about. So I, I know it's, a, it's something you've had experience of. One pattern that I see is that people have turned to Web3 funding because it's so hard to get normal game funding. Is, it, is that what happened to you guys? No, I mean, we've continued to be like, we didn't raise money for Shardbound really from the community. We tried to stay away from doing pre-sale and going that direction again, because I think, I think players have identified that as a risk to them, right? And we don't want to create a situation where the people that are backing us might be left holding the bag. And the reality is games is hard and games is there's content risk, right? Raising money for games is hard fundamentally because it is a it generally a content business and it has a, a ton of hit risk, right? I'd, I'd say probably 90% of game projects that are started never even come out. Most of those don't do particularly well. And generally they all die at some point in time. And I think this is, becomes a, a challenge really for Web3 in particular, right? I, I think moving to Web3 gaming in some ways is, is riskier because if every game is going to die eventually, what does that mean for your token? What does that mean for your mm. NFT assets in terms of, of the value? It's pretty important to us that we're not creating a situation where our players are being asked to finance something and, and hold an asset that's going to potentially go to zero. Yes, it's difficult to, to raise money for projects, but you need to still be able to show great product, great team, experienced team, leadership that's been there and done it before. Hard things to put together, for sure, but I think... The biggest thing is really, can you communicate a vision of how this is going to grow over a long time, how you're going to address the sort of key key risks to development that could see you end up dead on the side of the road where projects <laughs> end up? Yes, it's what, one of the challenges is conveying what the game is when the game doesn't exist. You're in a slightly different situation because Shardbound actually did exist before you took it over, didn't it? It, it did, yeah. And I think that gives us a really interesting way to think about how do you test, how do you develop belief in, in, in a project? Yeah, early days when you're just pitching on an idea, finding someone to, to believe in your three-page slide deck with pretty, pretty pictures that someone drew, that's really hard. And I don't think that's going to get any easier. I think maybe it was easy briefly for a couple of years, but we're paying for that now, I think, in the sort of like macro fundraising capital environment. So yeah, we're pretty happy with to be in the position that we're in with Shardbound. When we go and we talk to publishers and investors and kind of players, right? Like we, we just had our 1K alpha where we brought in a bunch of players to play the game for 10 days and give us a ton of feedback. Really great. And it's just good to be able to be in a position where you can pretty rapidly get feedback on what the game's actually going to be, how it's actually going to work, and to get through the bad ideas because there are 10 times as many bad ideas that you're going to come across as there are good ideas. Now, you mentioned it's going to be free to play. There will be a point at which people can convert their cards into NFTs and presumably buy stuff from you because you've got to have a revenue stream. Are you also thinking of this as people earning as they play? Do they make money or is that not a thing? It's certainly not a primary selling point of the game. Players will have a chance to, to play the game. They will dedicate hopefully thousands of hours of, of time. We do expect that players are going to be able to recruit, recoup something for that effort. But I think, I hope anyway, that we're like past the point in time where the reason I, that people are coming to the game is because they think that it's a job and they can make right. money and then we can yeah. show off. 
off falsely inflated user numbers. Right? Yeah. At the end of the day, it's not about, it, it really is about sort of engaged players having playing the game for the joy of it and then supporting the company. Now, Bo, I'm really interested in your perspective because you've been a game developer for a long time and you've actually developed a lot of different types of games. You're one of your most successful games, Glory, was a, for mobile. It was a MOBA. That's quite a different style of game than the one that you're making at the moment. You also worked on the Red Dead stuff, Red Dead Revolver, I think you worked on. So you worked for Rockstar. You've had deep experience in this world. I see a lot of people making games for the first time. Now, what kind of mistakes do people make when they're making games for the first time? I mean, there is there are more fail states than there are success states, right? I've seen a lot of different mistakes get made over the years. Quick background, just because you, you alluded to it. My, my first job in the game industry was at Angel Studios, it was the name of the studio at the time, eventually acquired by Rockstar Games, became Rockstar San Diego, worked on Red Dead Revolver and Red Dead Redemption for a, a number of years, but not that game turned into a 10-year development cycle and a lot of churn and challenges. Yeah, that, that's chapter one in my career. Then I went on and I, I worked as an engineer for a company that was John Romero's MMO startup. So John Romero of Doom and Quake fame. It was a, another interesting project, a lot of capital raised. Uh, I ended up... Uh, during that journey, transitioning into business development, corporate development, uh, licensing, fundraising, all, 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 all those things, really at the advent of free to play. So we, we uh, as we, we, were, we were building an MMO, everyone in the world was trying to take take World of Warcraft on, and free to play happened because no one was really succeeding and taking on WoW. But there were lots of companies doing interesting things with a different business model. So during that time pivoted and we the, the company ended up going on to it was called gazillion entertainment we had maybe seven mmos in development david brevik who built diablo was on leading a, a big marvel project or lots of top ips great talent huge organization lots of capital rockstar tons of capital can have development problems gazillion tons of capital seven games in development i think one eventually came out and lasted for a couple of years great team great people but hard problems right and they all fail in different ways vainglory went on to build that which was a the world's first core triple a game on mobile world's premier mobile east for for a period of time really interesting title also had different types of challenges my takeaway from all of this is that people are tend to be very unaware of what their advantages and what the where the places are that they actually want to they should be committing the capital because you can raise a lot of money but if you don't know where to spend it you're going to waste a lot of money and you're going to earn a lot of ill will from the investment community and, and, and so forth the thing that's come to me really has been the personal motto of if something is worth building it's worth building twice everyone wants to gold plate something and i think this is especially true of People building things for the first time, they say, hey, this has to be the greatest character that's ever existed because I have this vision in my head and they spend all of their time there and they don't validate that that's something that people want. They don't validate that there's a market for the type of game that they want. And maybe they don't appreciate the, the skill sets that they themselves don't personally bring to the table as well. To, to compete in AAA requires character artists, texture artists, technical artists, right? There's just a, a sl whole slate of like highly specialized disciplines required to, to build something like that to quality. Um, 
is that where you want to spend your capital? How many people do you want to hire? And so these are the kind of challenges that studios tend to face. I think that the solution there is to do what you can to get your game test ready as quickly as possible, right? And for us, in the case of Shardbound, it was great, right? Really straight shot to, we have a game, we have some ideas for how to get this working the way that we want to validate some ideas, get some, some traction, some actual feedback from actual players, and then learn from that, follow the learnings, and let that take you where you're trying to go. It's a fascinating tension that, that you bring up there between listening to your audience or designing by committee. Would you agree with those two takes on this conundrum? I think that's accurate. Your community can't give you the ideas. And, and frankly, you shouldn't listen simply to what your community says in terms of validating your ideas. You have to watch how your community behaves. There's very heavy selection bias in terms of the people that are going to give you feedback within your community. And oftentimes, especially if you're collecting your feedback in certain corners of the internet, forums and things like that, like it is the most passionate people that are taking the time to log on and engage in those conversations. And that might not be reflective of sort of your typical player, right? The extra fold in free-to-play is there's your players and then there's ultimately customers, right? And you can ignore your spenders to the detriment of the overall community as well. It's really important to have a clear idea of what the feedback, not only what the feedback is, but who it's coming from and what that player's behavior is and how representative uh, that is in, in the overall player base. The competition for gamers' attention is intense. There were 10,000 games, more than 10,000 games released on Steam last year, uh, maybe 600 or so on Epic. The quality of game is extremely high. The audience is in the millions for the top games, but they're dominated by existing franchises or strong IPs. Do you spend time thinking about marketing? How are you going to find an audience? One of the greatest things about the advent of cloud gaming and these open platforms like Steam and the iOS App Store, Google App Store, is that kind of anyone can make a game and put it up online. You don't need to be able to go and rack servers in a data center anymore to stand up an online game. So there's a lot of opportunity there. Distributions become easier than ever before, but discovery is extremely difficult, right? I, I think what it does is it should change the way that you think about building, right? And for Bazooka Tango, we're here, we're talking about Shardbound and, and super excited about this game. But our vision is had to be larger than a single game, right? Because launching a single game, keeping players in for some length of time, and then having, having them churn out and then having to reacquire them for another game is super expensive, right? You're going to pay for that marketing effort over and over again. I do think this is one of the great opportunities around Web3. And one of the things that, that excites me the most is the opportunity to build games that are interoperable and that universes that expand beyond kind of a single game in a way that doesn't require like just shipping update after update of, of, of a single game and trying to convince everyone in the world that this is the game for them, right? Because it's got a million different features. We really think hard about what does it mean to build an ecosystem of games and to help players find the right product in our portfolio for them. And, and we're early on in that journey, but my hope is that players that we acquire for Shardbound, if they decide it's not their home, 
will find a home in another music tango game and that we can make that on ramp for them easier, make that a no brainer. And when a new genre comes out in three years time, that the audience that we've been able to build up across a portfolio of titles makes it easier for us to get into the new ascendant genre. Marketing is going to be expensive, right? Discovery is going to be expensive, but if you can amortize that cost over over a couple of different products, I think you can be pretty successful. Now, how's the roadmap looking? When do you think that you might have an open beat of, of Shardbound out there? <laughs> Well, I've learned never to make promises on timelines, but we, again, just finished the alpha. I expect to get the game back into players' hands in, you know, before the end of the year for, for some format. Ideally, that's that's a pretty open beta. We are in a position now, I, I think anyone who's played the game recently or, or seen the you know latest build on Twitch, the core game is there it's in really great shape we have a lot of the progression systems that we just hid and turned off for that beta because they weren't the polish wasn't quite there but i think the next time players see the game pretty soon it'll be pretty deeply pretty well progressed into long-term progression mechanics and and retention type features hopefully we can get that stuff into players hands in the next couple of weeks yeah it seems to me that the key moment in a game's life in in this area is when people release open betas where the retention of the nfts and the blockchain elements is ongoing you're not going to reset that's the key moment isn't it because there seems to be this constant iteration and it's not 100 percent clear where the final <laughs> where the where you, where you can crack the champagne yeah, the answer is never really, and, and and I don't think this is this is a Web three uh, thing, right? When you release the game finally, it just means that you're going to spend more time interacting with your community, looking at metrics, playing the game yourself, right? Like all, all these things, just in some ways, things just things do get a little bit a little bit slower, a little bit more externally focused. So it is good for us to be in a mode where we can pull back, focus internally for and go dark effectively for a period of a couple of weeks and put something up to your point yeah when we're taking money things change now tell me about your life when did you first get entranced by video games i'm of an age where i was the kid with the atari 2600 joystick in my hand i got into programming at a young age my cousin had a tandy color computer one actually 16k right very early, I think I got into computer gaming around in my single digit years and learned to code. I don't think we had the money for a, a floppy disk drive. The game, it, there were some cartridges, so baseball on the Tandy Color computer was one of yeah. my was probably my first like PC game. But yeah, if I wanted to do save in a state, it was a tape deck and I early programming. I basically I couldn't save any of the programs that I was writing, so I just have to code them again and again, which I think probably was helpful for my for my computer science training. Yeah. And and then I stayed interested in computers. Really I think probably got back into it in the nineties with games like Doom, Doom and Quake and the Wing Commander series and uh, TIE Fighter, right? There's some really awesome games from that era. And then went to school for computer science. Did, some, did a master's degree that was game focused and launched me out into the world and into Rockstar and certainly never looked back. Yeah. And has it been a good life being a uh, first a developer and, and then a manager and a business guy and then being a leader? For me, I, I think I've always, like the through line for me is just running directly towards the big, scary, hard looking thing, right? I think this is why I've now started a couple of companies and I'm making uh, core games 
on the blockchain. <laughs> like, these aren't things for the faint of heart. I think what I will say is that it's an endless horizon of challenge and opportunity. And I, uh, I certainly had friends that went more traditional paths and like coming out of school or whatever, and it probably left money on the table compared to my, I don't know, could have gone into investment banking or something like that. But the class of issues that we run into are fun on their own. They're intrinsically motivating. At the end of the day, you get to have impact and really touch people's lives in a way that I think is, is pretty powerful. I still get people saying, oh, you worked on Red Dead Revolver, like the dueling system in that game was the coolest thing. I could say, I did that. That's really powerful. And with Vainglory, traveled all over the world. We had esports tournaments ev- everywhere in the world, right? So I got to, got to travel and see people that spend eight, 10 hours a day playing the game that we birthed, right? And it's, it's pretty incredible, pretty rewarding feeling. Yeah, that must be amazing. Something that strikes me uh, as I look at my own life in the progression of uh, video games and computing is how these things become more mainstream and have become more mainstream. And now the things that I was obsessed with as a a teenager or even a 10-year-old are things that you don't really have to hide anymore because they're they're socially acceptable. It's socially acceptable to play games. Is that a, a... Uh, movement that you've observed as well? Absolutely. And I will say like this was a big part of the thesis at Gazillion Entertainment, right? Is that gaming is just increasingly mainstream, right? And free to play just makes it even more so mobile, even more so mobile in particular, right? There's 100 million PCs in the world that are like high enough quality to play games. There's 4 billion mobile phones out there. So just the amount of reach, the amount of impact that you can have is it's really, it's really incredible. This is where I think as a teenager, yeah, I was probably a little bit of this kind of nerdy loner playing video games or as a, as a kid growing up. But being different can certainly be, you could be on the wrong end of the bell curve. Things change, right? And again, this is the thing that, that people often forget when they complain about blockchain, when they complain about mobile, is that the world is going to evolve. You need to take bets on where it's going to go. And if people think that you're doing the obvious thing, you probably already missed the opportunity in the space. Take some crazy bets, get out in front of the pack uh, from time to time. If you don't, you're never going to be innovative. You're never going to lead. It could all end horribly for everybody, <laughs> but but my bet is that it, it won't. Yeah, that's wonderful words. Uh, do you ever get bummed that the that the blockchain world has turned the way that it has? The blockchain world, I, I don't know. I, I feel like we live in trying times and trying to find a place where people are just excited and in, engaged and find meaning in, in how they're spending their time. I, I, in some ways, that's just increasingly important. Less focus on financialization, more focus on delight. That's It's an opportunity for us. It's also, it's unfortunately that we find ourselves fairly alone right? In an ideal world, there'd be a lot of people building on this really cool tech, doing very interesting things at a very high quality and inspiring a ton of consumer confidence, right? That's where we should be. We still just have to keep doing our thing, right? If we want to get there. Bo, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thanks, Hal. And so another key character's conversation draws to an end. As Bo said, you've got to get out in front and take some risks. It could all end badly, but without the risk, there's no possibility of success. That could be good advice for all of us. 
please get in contact if you're enjoying the podcast. And if you'd like me to interview someone, please let me know at news at polymos.io. Bye for now.